Thank you for joining the online ministry of New Life Fellowship. May you be blessed by the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 13. I actually have two verses for a text, which is not my norm, but I I need your help and I'm going to work, I have to work this out with you. We're going to work, we're going to work this out today. And um, <clears throat> I understand the, the process of the orator and the subject. So hopefully you know that. But where the Lord is leading me and us, there is no straight line there. So you just have to stay with me for a moment till we get to where God wants us to be. So we're going to work on this now. There's a work to do here. And it's gonna, I'm going to need your mind and your spirit, your heart, your attention, and your affirmation. Though the word doesn't need our affirmation, it stands alone. It never de- was dependent on the validation or the vote of a, of a man or a woman or a society or a church. It just It's the word. It, it never fades. It never goes out of style. It, it's not subject to cultural relativism. <laughs> no, it, it stretches beyond borders and boundaries of languages and tongues and cultures and times and eras and generation and indeed dispensations the word however there is a necessity in the house that all the people that hear the word will cry out and shout out that they believe it and they'll live it and they'll abide by it and they'll affirm it in their life Sometimes just saying yes or amen is not really just for the sake of the preacher. It could be for the sake of your own soul. Yes, I believe it. It's a declaration that you make in your own life. That's why David wrote, we get to hear it, but David wrote, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Talking to himself. I won't forget all your, all your promises and I won't forget that you healed me and I won't forget that you delivered me. So bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits who healeth all thine iniquities, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. I will bless the Lord. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. My soul shall do that. Sometimes when I'm shouting, I, I know I'm praising him, but there's something that's transpiring. It's a spiritual transaction between my own will and my own mind and what I know is right in my own spirit. Amen. been times I've sat in services and the preacher is preaching and the word was powerful and I'm crying out and I know that it was a it was a help to the to the preacher and to the speaker but it was really about me affirming something I believe that amen (laughs) Hebrews chapter 13 
we're working on this now. We, you come to work here. By him, therefore, verse 15 in your Bibles, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, here's the description of what the sacrifice of praise is. Because it's a deviation from the oxen, the bull, the turtle dove, the sheep, the lamb. The sacrifice of praise, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. His name is Jesus. Now this, this next verse, as it, in the English translation, uh, you, have, you have to read it as, as it was written. But it's a flow. So this is a flow. This is not a new thought. But to do good or and to do good, it, it could also be also to do good and to communicate. Forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. So through Jesus, verse 15, we... We praise God continually with the fruit of our lips. We can, we declare or give thanks to the name. And don't forget to do good and to share and communicate. For with such sacrifices, God's pleased. So the praise of our lips is also the communication with other people. The sacrifice of our praise now is the showcase for everyone else. All right. Got that? We're working now. Amos chapter 8. Just one verse in the book of Amos chapter 8. He's a minor, minor prophet and <clears throat> It's a small verse. And if you don't have the tabs, I'll probably read it before you find it. But if you found it, you won the Bible. Yes, you won the race. Thank you, Mother. A couple of, thank you. Are you ready? Just one verse. Thus saith the Lord God, He has shown me this, And behold, a basket of summer fruit. I misread that. Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me. And behold, a basket of summer fruit. All right. Did you get that now? Just pause on that. Amen. Now, Lord, I pray that your guidance upon the congregation and the people. Pull back all the curtains and the facades, the thin veneers of of image today so that we can understand the things that you have ordained us to do I ask you Lord Jesus that you would uncover and reveal give enlightenment and revelation so that our lives would be counted worthy of your calling And that our steps, Lord, would be ordered of you 
and that we would follow them, Lord, for the benefit of the kingdom of God. I pray it again, Lord. Pull back and uncover that thin veneer of image and help us dig deep into our lives, Lord Jesus. So that we could be a blessing to your kingdom and reach the people that need to hear the sacrifices of our praise. Jesus' holy name. Everyone speak his name. Put your Bibles down one more time and just lift up your hands and your voices to the Lord and speak his name, Jesus. Jesus, come on, say his name with me. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. People of his name, Jesus. The high exalted name, Jesus. You are high and exalted, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for standing, and you may be seated. The ripening of summer fruit. If you journey farther into the book of Amos, you'll find that the sight of the basket full of summer fruit is not connected to a blessing. Um, Although that could easily be considered. In fact, the prophet Amos writes and he prophesies that a season of great spiritual unrest is upon them and will ensue in short order. Now, when I was young, the first time I read the phrase, a basket of summer fruit, I, I was thinking of the blessing of God. It, it seems reasonable that there is a first fruit offering, which, which is um, akin to, to what Pentecost means. Um, that's the initial harvest in the spring that the Jewish people have always observed. Then there's a fall harvest, which is the last of the gathering. We would understand that in a different term, the latter rain, or the former and the latter, the latter being the late fall. It would, it would be connected to the Feast of Trumpets and... Um, in the Jewish world, it would be um, tied into um, the harvest moment or Sukkot, as it were. So you have the, the early spring and you have the late fall and it, to consider the basket of summer fruit seemed like a good thing to me and I suppose in some measure there, there is a value in savoring all the things that God has provided. But in this case, however, Amos is commanded to address the immoral disposition of the nation of Israel. He's called from the field to be a prophet. He did not 
go through the school of prophets, nor was he a son of a prophet or related to any such particular prophetic calling. In some views, it appears that the prophets, the preachers, even teachers of the law are now at that time in short supply. There's very few actual prophets of God. There's a lot of soothsaying and a lot of people that are standing up and telling people what they want to hear. In our day, uh, we were warned in the scripture that, that there'd, become a, there'd come a time when the people would have itching ears and they would hire men and women to say what, what pleased them. And that's exactly what's happened today, that if pulpits do not please the people, then the congregation vote with their feet. They don't come back the next day because they don't really enjoy what's happened because we've been inundated with, with pleasure and we think that the church and the sermon and the preacher and all that the church offers ought to be pleasurable and it ought to satisfy something. In fact, we want to know what we're going to get out of it. Even if those words don't come through our lips, we're thinking, what am I going to get out of this? How does it benefit me or my family? And people will join a church because there's a, a good youth group and they'll leave it because there, there's not a good youth group. They'll join because there's something for children to do and, and they won't be there because they have very few or, or they'll, they'll leave a church because they think maybe it's gotten a little bit too large and they need personal attention and they think, well, I, I'm going to be left out and, and what about me? And so instead of serving, they're wondering how can they be filled every day? And, and, and so this was the environment that Amos steps into because really there ought to have been a prophet somewhere there ought to have been a voice somewhere but God found none so he called this shepherd and this tender of of crops into the prophetic realm and Amos in his normal life in his maybe more secular contemporary life he had two different jobs he was a shepherd that guided sheep so he understood the ways of sheep and but he also was tending to the figs. My, my, my love for the book of Amos uh, doesn't rest on the judgments of God. God judged so many of the, the enemies and, and even Israel. And My love for this prophet in this book uh, moves me past the judgment that God will levy against the people uh, it moves me into the lord's redemption but but the chapters ladies and gentlemen spare no preference for israel or for her many enemies it's almost at the end of the book when god shows amos a sight it, it might be a vision through the scripture but the Bible offers us no such indication the safest assumption is a literal view literally Amos would have often had this in his own home. What do you see, Amos? And he said, I, I see a basket of summer fruit. Now it actually meant that the time of God's judgment was days away. Eat the ripe fruit because tomorrow punishment is coming. It's on its way. God said, the time is ripe for my people. I will spare them no longer. It was a most troubling thing. Now, I, ladies and gentlemen, liked my first thought of the basket of summer fruit, which is always much better than the actual meaning. What a blessing of God. He gave you a basket of summer fruit. Wouldn't that nice? But if you read the Bible, uh, you have to pay attention to the era and the setting, the context in which it was written. Uh, 
If you read it without understanding or without prayer or without study, you'll probably be disturbed by things that should make you feel secure. Now, on the other hand, you might become comforted by things that ought to confront you and make you uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm wondering about the modern congregation of believers who do not search the scriptures but take them as just encouraging words for life, almost like a good self-help study guide. I'm wondering if we are at ease when we ought to be fervent or if we are passionate about things that God has no interest in. Where do we land in this? Somebody tell me, is God excited about the things that excite you? Is he concerned about what concerns you? Because to be kingdom-minded means to follow the mind of the king. What is it that he wants for your life? That's the question. Not what I want, not what pleases me. Are we believers or are we doers? Because you can be a believer and do nothing. James said, show me your faith, I'll show you my faith by my works. In fact, Jesus said, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. Well, I believe. Well, what did that mean if you believe? What are you going to do about it? Nothing. I'm just going to believe that. No, no, hold on a second. Does a lost soul disturb you? Do people that are going to hell bother you that they're going there? Is there an intervention in your life? Does the debauchery of this world arrest your attention to the soon coming of the Lord? And you say, surely evil is good, good is evil, and the Lord must be coming back, and I got to get right. And I got to be right. Because you're living in a world where chemical washing is now promoted, and we're arguing over gender. And the verbiage that my grandfather would never have assumed and everyone beyond him is now something that we have to present to people. No wonder why people are, 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 are messed up because years ago we tore down the walls and the boundaries of holiness and the church argued against holiness and said, well, that's not necessary, that's not necessary, and that's not necessary. And when you pulled out all the necessary guardrails, what you got was a fluid and a, and, a, and a constant state of flux and a congregation of people that did not know right from wrong. What you ought to do is get back and say, whatever God wants is what I want. I don't want to be like the world. I want to be like the Lord. I've got to strive to be holy and godly. And instead of asking what the preacher preaches and what the church demands and what the rules of the church are, why don't you just say, God, what do you want me to do? Is this right or is this wrong? Should I say it or should I be silent about it? Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. (laughs) Now, I wouldn't say any of that if you had itching ears and you hired me to say it. Are we ready? Are you ready? Do we know what the Lord desires of us? What, what gets your attention? What excites you? What makes you happy? The Bible says that the angels of the Lord rejoice over one sinner that repents. What are we doing here? We ought to be rejoicing over one person that just simply says, forgive me. 
I think we ought to have the office buy a bunch of party hats and kazoos. We'll put them under the seat. Every time someone stands up and cries out, I need you, Jesus. Can we do that? Who's in charge of the kazoo? Jesus said that the father of the prodigal killed the fatted calf. You don't have a fatted calf unless you have an expectation of coming home. Don't mess with that one. Give him more grain. Someday when my son comes home, we're going to eat that calf. It's going to be the best food. And the father said, put a robe on him and get some nice things on him and put some, put some jewels on him. I found my son. Let's have a party. I want to tell you, the prodigals are going to come, but so is the sinner that knows nothing. And it's time for the church to understand what God loves and what he wants, the desire of the father, the mind of the king. Now, I grew up with a, with, a, with a person in the church that, was, that had it all together. And when someone came back to the church, she would regularly say, Oh, are you back here again? Well, I hope it lasts this time. I didn't know at the time that someone ought to have... Uh, uh, what's the word? Smacked her? <laughs> I just knew that ain't right. I didn't know at the time someone ought to have got some duct tape and wrapped it around their mouth because that didn't help them. What are you talking about? You're back again. Thank God. We're going to have another party. It's time to rejoice. Yes. You're all right. You're coming back. You're all right. You're all right. You fell down. Come on, get back up. You're okay. That's the mind of the king. He would that you would come. He would that you would be saved. He would that you would be restored. That's the mind and the heartbeat of the king. Here's your Bible, and we're delving into this just a little bit. I, I, in fact, I couldn't even really get into the totality of all that. God was speaking because there was something else that the Lord revealed to me. Amos didn't just gather the fruit. In fact, he was a harvester of the sycamore fig. It was the ficus sycamorus. The ficus sycamorus is just native to the Middle East and parts of Africa. You won't find it here in this hemisphere even. And that's what caught me because the the Hebrews had a system of harvesting, and the Jewish people, even to this day, love the figs, but there are different types of figs. And the Jewish writers reveal that this particular type, Ficus sycamorus, is, it's never ripened, never truly found, finds its ripening until it's wounded. In fact, if Amos is holding or handling a basket of summer fruit, he probably would have been the one to cut the outer skin of the fruit to expose the flesh of the fig. And then after the fresh air had taken its toll, the fig would, would then turn from its hardened state, sometimes bitter taste, to a soft, more palatable taste. And now, I'm not seeing the judgment or prophecy of Israel's dismissal of the law 
though that is true. But the Lord opened up this to me just to speak a word into my life and for the church today. That's why I need this book. That's why I love this book. It does something for me that nothing can do. Not medicine, not, not, not talking with a friend, not, not counseling with a brother, not, not a vacation, not another thing to buy at a store, not, not another event. It's something about this book, never ending. And I'm, I'm, I'm reading about the judgment that's coming, but the Lord reveals something in this basket of summer fruit. The moment you get away from this book, that's the moment you become religious. That's the moment you, you get confidence in what you used to know and thinking that that's all that God has. There's a lot more here. You want to heal your family, get in the book. Put your face in this book. That's an excellent lead way to tell you to get off Facebook. You ought to be commenting about this book and loving this book because this book will show you doctrines. In fact, if you really get into this book, you won't go to a church that preaches false doctrine. You won't put your money in a place that does not baptize in the name of Jesus because you know that's not in the book. You won't go to a place that believes there's multiple gods and multiple persons, but you'll know there is only one God, and his name is Jesus, and that he is the mighty God in Christ. Because that's what this book says. It's just what the book says. The book says that all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Jesus bodily. The book says that they came to him and said, Lord, show us a father. We'll be happy about it. And, and, and Jesus said to, he said to Philip, Philip, have I been so long time with you and yet you do not know me? He that has seen me has seen the father. Jesus is the express image of the eternal spirit. That's in the book. The book says that whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. So if you're going to marry someone, you marry them in Jesus' name. If you're going to pray over your breakfast, you pray in Jesus' name. If you're going to bury someone, you bury them in Jesus' name. And if you're going to baptize someone, you baptize them in the only saving name of Jesus Christ. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we are demanded we must be saved. And if you are accused of being Jesus only, you say, oh, no, no, he is the Father, he is the Son, he is the Holy Ghost. He was manifested as the Father, he's manifested as the Son, he's manifested in the Holy Spirit, but there's only one God. Yes. And I know I've already heard this a thousand times. The problem you have, folks... That your preacher has gray hair. <laughs> I already heard that dumb statement. Well, what does doctrine do for our family? I'll tell you what, it'll hold your family together. Because what you were trying to find was something to help emotions and feelings and all that. I'll tell you what, get into Jesus. Get into the Lord. Get into doctrine. You don't realize what a savior that he will become when you recognize him and declare him for who he is.
<laughs> you got to get to Dr. Jesus. I don't even think Dr. Phil is an actual doctor. You know, the summer fruit kind of bothered me because I had an idea of it. Ficus sycamorus. I had to look it up. It, come to find out it could not come to its proper value until the harvest was given and the harvester took a rock or some blade, maybe a knife or some other instrument made of some sharpened edge and struck it. Left untouched, left to itself, the ficus sycamorus, the fig, it would live and die without value. It really just stays hard. It has no place in the basket of fruit. There is no worth to it. To be a summer fruit worth eating, it, it, it had to be harvested and then wounded, cut, then it had to sit for a while until sweetness came. And I'm not exactly sure what's more difficult to be wounded or to sit. <laughs> Time is going to help you, it can be on your side. The Bible says, in your patience, redeem ye your soul. But untouched, that fruit stays hard and coarse and bitter. So upon review in the text, Amos is more than just a shepherd. He's a harvester, a gatherer of sycamore fruit. Amos states that before his prophetic appointment, here it is, Amos said to Amaziah, I was no prophet. Neither was I a, a son of a prophet. I was a herdman. And I was a gatherer of sycamore fruit. Scholars write that a more correct translation might be just not a gatherer, but a bruiser, I quote, a bruiser, a trainer, a preparer of the sycamore fruit. That the sycamore fruit being like a fig, though not quite so excellent in flavor. In the east, it, it would never have ripened except it was bruised a little bit. That Some person was employed, the harvester, the gatherer, with an iron comb to scratch it or wound the skin. Unwounded fruit was too bitter to be eaten. But after it had been wounded and then sat for a while, it ripened rapidly and then would become sweet. But it had to sit for a while. It reminds me of those men who stopped by to make the purchase of an imprisoned Joseph. His brothers sold them, sold him into slavery. They sold him to the merchants that were coming from Ramoth. And the likelihood is that those merchants had been extracting the sap like substance from the small trees, that sap that exuded from the high and rocky edges of the Ramoth tree, the Ramoth of Gilead. Your Bible said, Speaking of those brothers, they sat down to eat bread and they lifted up their eyes and looked and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm 
and myrrh going to carry it down to Egypt. It was a bomb. The wounded tree cut with a knife, oozing out what they would call the bomb of Gilead. Work with me now. Help me. Jeremiah once lamented on the depletion of healing. He cried out and he said, Is there no bomb in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is not the health of the daughter of my people recovered? Is there no resin, no healing, no balm? No balm in Gilead? The small trees of Ramoth, when they were wounded, they did dispel, they exuded the sap-like substance. It was a balm. Ramoth, the city. The area is called Gilead. Ramoth is a high city. It was set on an upper level. But the trees hugged the side of that towering hill. To get to the trees and thus to the bomb, it was a dangerous path. And then once there, embracing the side and clinging on to the rocks there, the merchant would cut the tree ever so slightly, not to kill it, not to destroy it, but just to wound it enough to allow the bomb, the sap, to flow into his flask. The city of Ramoth was one of six cities of refuge. Those were the cities that protected the people who were accused and were judged and would have been killed. But they had no advocate. They had no attorney. They had no body to represent them. And they they had a case, but they needed someone to protect them until there was some kind of actual justice made. And that city, by decree of God himself, was a location. Ramoth was a city of refuge. And in that city, located in Gilead, encased in the very tree which produced a healing bomb. So in the city of refuge, it was wrapped around by a high place, rocks and the trees. The healing, much like the fruit, however, was not useful until a wound was made. And the depth of this understanding comes from the conditions of this life. Wounds. I wish it wasn't always this way, but some are self-inflicted. Mistakes made. Decisions, poor things, poor decisions. Other wounds are by no fault of our own. But both can work for us to produce something that nothing else can produce. Not all wounds are the same and not all outcomes are predictable. Things can work for our good, but we can always thwart the virtues of hardship. It comes, ladies and gentlemen, by decision and by determination. Because many have been wounded and then became bitter. The wound only exasperated their poor disposition. They were swallowed up in regret And in anger they lashed out in hatefulness. And they accused the one that cut them. Or if they did it themselves, they found blame in someone that led them to that wound. Wounds which could have produced a healing power for themselves and for others became infected. And bitterness kept them hard and indifferent. Yes. The fig had no choice in the Bible but to become a summer fruit when it was wounded. And the trees of Ramoth had no choice, but were designed to exude the healing balm. But the wound of the spirit and the torn heart of a person only finds value when they decide to allow the suffering of this life to be a witness of God's grace for other people. Thus, the sacrifice of my praise.
It's not my head knowledge that led me to this truth in the Bible. It's my heart condition over time that revealed it. Because anyone can read it, but you cannot explain it until you feel it. And most of my wounds have been self-inflicted. You see, both sweetness and bitterness is by choice. Watch now. Listen to me real carefully. Purity and carnality is by choice. If the church is going to be pure and not carnal, it's because all of us are going to stay pure. It only takes a couple of people to introduce impure things in the body to hurt the body. If you want to live a holy life, you can. But no one's going to make you holy. And holy means set apart. How are we doing now? Oh, man. I'm talking down into your spirit. Because wounds don't always manifest themselves into depression. Sometimes they bring out a boldness of carnality in people. And I've seen that too. It astounded me. One of my dearest friends growing up lived in the upper part of Wisconsin in the Eau Claire area. He said to me one time, he said, Jeffrey, I I found the Lord when I was just a little kid. He said, but in my very early teens, 12, 13, 14 years old, he said, I always wanted to go to the church, but my dad was a severe alcoholic. He drank every day. He went to work drunk. He came home and drank more. And, and he didn't want me to go to church. He found out that I was going to church, and he would not let me go to church. I, he'd sleep in on Sunday mornings, and, and hopefully I would get home before he woke up. And on Sunday nights, he, he, he'd never let me go. But I, he said, I wanted to go so bad. I, I climbed out of the window. He told me this. Thad told me this. He said, I climbed out of the window, and if he caught me, he would beat me with his fist. He said, I had a lot of black eyes and bloody noses. But I wanted it so bad. Thad said, I found love in that church and it was worth the beating. (laughs) If you want it, you can have it. If your family gives up on you and says, I'd rather you live immoral than go to to that house and and pray and, and be holy. And that wound hits you. If you want it, you can have it. But it might cost you something. I'm wondering how many people put their life in their own hands, Brother Brian, to get to the house today. Probably nobody. So don't tell me that you can't have it. Yes, you can. Don't tell me, well, I've been cut. I've been wounded. I've been rejected. I know. I know. But let that work for your good. And let patience do its perfect work in your life. And become sweet. And let the praise of your lips go up as a testimony to the people. The fruit in the hands of Amos was a design of the creator, the originator of all things. And the balm of Gilead was a design by the creator who spoke those things into existence. But the disposition of the flow of your life is by your decision. 
He won't make you become bitter, and he won't make you become sweet. He'll just allow the wound. Same wound, same affliction can produce a different result. But know this. It still takes the experience of your life to heal the hurt of another person in this world. It still takes understanding, oh man, and empathy and compassion. And those things cannot be learned in a textbook or some class. Until you are wounded and until you are betrayed, until you are rejected, you probably won't be able to minister to a world which suffers from those very things. And this world is in desperate need. They have no hope. And when they have no hope, they go to the extreme of things. A hopeless life can be snuffed out by its own hand. This is the need of the church. That you would go through tragedy and struggle and mistakes and issues and things you did to yourself and things that other people did to you. But you'd come back and you'd say, okay, I've been wounded for a while and I'm just going to sit here and I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn. I'm going to grow. And I'm going to let the sweetness come out of me. How is that coming out of you? Because you got to the house and you lifted up your hands and with tears in your eyes, you began to give him praise and it became a witness to the people around you. And you didn't forget what God had done. And the sacrifice of your praise was from the fruit of your lips. Listen, I hope you can hear me today with your heart and not just with your head. You get this right and we'll reach people by the masses because they don't have any hope. I've seen this. Clap your hands one more time. I'm getting close. I've seen it before, and it's not just a family, but it's a it's the it's the it's the area of the family. It's I call them I call them the good time family, good times. They they say, well, let's just have fun, let's play games, let's enjoy. They they reject intercession because intercession is groaning. Good time families rarely come to Saturday night prayer. Good time families rarely cry out to God. Why groan, they say, when you can laugh? Why sacrifice when you can gain? The carefree spirit is nothing more than apathy towards the heartbeat of Jesus Christ. He did not look on the multitude and smile and say, man, I'm, I'm so glad they're doing good. He looked on them and had compassion on them because he said they were like sheep without a shepherd. The Bible says he was wounded for our transgressions. Why? He was bruised for our iniquities. Why? Because until he went through the suffering, he could not fully relate to the creation that he had made. There's nothing that you're going to go through that he hasn't already felt. And the feeling of our, of our high priest <laughs> allows him to make a sacrifice for the people. This is a disposition adjustment. And if you don't make the adjustment and you don't know, You're not ready for empathy. If you're carnal and you're worldly 
and you play church a little bit and you don't understand how to do it right, you're not ready for ministry. Because ministry means serving. There is no relationship with you in Golgotha. That's why you've got to take all the junk that you went through and all the stuff that you managed to get through and you've got to commit it to Jesus Christ. And when you get into the house of God, then you lift up your voice and say, I'm giving you my praise today. Because bitter becomes sweet when you're wounded. But that's only by choice. The wound, ladies and gentlemen, makes you ready. The wound makes you ready. Patience for people who even oppose themselves. <laughs> Love for people who have been used and misused. The world with all of its mess and sorrow needs somebody that will understand what that cut is all about. Listen carefully. You draw from the well of your own suffering, which then becomes the refreshing water to quench the thirst of a desperate soul. He allowed it in you. I can't tell you why, but God has put this body of believers together for such a time as this. He brought you out and carried you through and lifted you up. He protected you. He guided you. He put the word inside of you. Such were some of you, the Bible says, but that's not for us to gloat or just to remember where we came from. Such were some of you, wounded, self-defeated, neglected, and rejected. But the blood of Jesus washed your heart and your mind. Don't be deceived, the Bible says. Sexual morality and adulterers and thieves and greedies and drunkards and slanders and swindlers, none of that's going to inherit the kingdom of God. But then Paul said, but oh, by the way, such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. He did not just bring us out for us to recoil into the operation of a religion religious environment he did not sanctify us for us to boast in our journey of how we got here but he gave us hope for the sake of another and so do not forget to do good and to share with others but to do good and to communicate forget not for with such sacrifices God is well pleased yes so you can stand and say, I remember where God brought me from, and I'm praising him. And if he could do that for me, he could do that for you. If the Lord can bring you out, he can bring anybody out. If the Lord can resurrect your, your dead spirit, he can wreck anybody. He can resurrect anybody. Here, here, pastor, now, but if you communicate with the people who have been wounded and got bitter, you'll never become sweet. You'll never become sweet. If you are in constant contact with people that are angry and hateful and have all kinds of hang-ups and all kinds of excuses, what happens to you is when you get cut, you'll just become hard and indifferent just like the people you've been listening to. But if you allow patience to have its work, and when you get wounded and cut, sometimes falsely accused, sometimes you make your own mistakes, sometimes you fall just because you didn't do right. If you'll just get back up and say, Lord, I, I got a little hurt, I got a little pain in my, in my side, in, in my heart, in my mind, in my spirit. If you'll just let God do the work and you determine by choice, I will not die here, but I will raise back up.
you will have a praise in your mouth. This is what I want us to, here's what I want us to do. Who's been redeemed by the blood? Just raise your hand if you've been, you know you've been redeemed by the blood. Who's been saved and sanctified and on their way going to heaven, filled with the Holy Ghost baptized? <laughs> I'd like to do this for the next little while. I don't know how long we can do it, but as long as you can. Let's just have church for the person that's not there yet. Don't even think about yourself when you walk in. Just think, I wonder who it is today. What's the statement? I don't even know. Is that a correct statement? Like bees on honey? We're swarming around with great love. And you may not put your hand on them, but we're interceding for everybody who came into this house. And you don't really know the Lord yet. You're not really sure how to get out of all that mess. You've, you've been messed up for a little while. But I want to tell you, the church service and the worship service and the preaching and the songs, it's all about the person who walks in and needs God and needs to be healed and restored. And, and even at the very least, if you don't know who they are, then let the praise of your lips and the sacrifice of praise go up before the Lord. And let that praise continually go up before the Lord. And when you walk in, you praise him. And when you're, and we're giving the announcements, you just say, say, thank you, Jesus. Somebody is here. Somebody's going to get the announcement. And when they take up the offering, you just say, thank the Lord. I'm able to give and, and I'm able to do this. And you can even say, listen, I didn't even always have this, but I learned the secret of giving back to God and returning my first fruit. And, and then when they start to worship, you just praise God exuberantly. Let the fruit of your mouth, the spirit of your, of your heart just come out to God. And something's going to start to happen in here. From your own womb comes a bomb, and, and, and from that wounded spirit, things that have been cut you, the sweetness comes out, and all of a sudden, so much love is in the church, and no one can resist the love of the body of Jesus Christ. When they walk into an atmosphere of love, they just have to receive whatever God has. And many people have said, I don't know what happened, but I felt the love of God there. I'll tell you what it is. Love is a greater advertisement than any billboard or sign or description or flyer or pamphlet. It's not just a love from the platform. It's love from the whole body. Because if, if the truth be told, everybody in the world has been wounded. Everybody's been cut. They don't always deal with it the right way. But here's the body of Jesus Christ. Yes. I've been struck. But I found the sweetness in the word and in the worship. And I found the redemption in the blood of Jesus Christ. And when I applied his name to my life. I got a name change and an address change and a disposition change and a, a redirection change. Come on, someone, I know you're here. I know you know what I'm talking about. I wasn't always like this. I wasn't always, I wasn't always in this house. I wasn't always free to worship, but something happened to me. And now my life has changed and my heart's changed and my family is changing. Somebody tell me, 
How do you go through all of that that you went through? How do you do that? How do you do that and have the joy of the Lord? How do you do that? Tell the testimony. How do you go through pain and sorrow and accidents and death and suffering and sickness and loss and rejection, humiliation? How do you go through that and still worship God? Because I found through all of that, he's still been faithful to me and I'm going to be sweet. I'm not going to be bitter. I will be better. So I didn't come to wallow in my sorrow. I came here to give God praise because it's a testimony in my lips. I've come here to give God glory because he is a good God. I've come here to shout the praises of the Redeemer who picked me up and set me up and lifted me up. I'm into order. I want order. Let all things be done decently in order. But I also am into confession. Pride has kept us from healing. Pride has hindered a lot of miracles and healings that could have taken place because we're too proud. They're just pride. It's not order, it's pride. (laughs) Oh, man. I'm not meddling. I'm, I'm bringing you to the altar. Because you want to come, but you got a lot of pride. But I'm calling for everyone who will confess, I've been cut and I've been wounded. I'm a little hard and different. I want to become sweet. I want this to work in my favor. But I'm here to confess, I've got to change something in my life. So just put aside your pride for a little stand here in the front. Put aside the things that you struggle with. I've got some things that I'm working on now. You come and confess. I'm here to confess, Lord. From both within and without. I'm here to confess, Lord. Let these things work for me. Let the praise of my lips continue. Oh yes, look at all the look at all this. Now, everybody will sing, but you have must you must exercise your praise unto the Lord. This is the sacrifice of praise now. Oh yes. Let the sacrifice of praise to God. Lord, heal me, deliver me help me oh yes thank you for watching today if you would like to help us continue to deliver content around the world online please consider making a donation head to newlifeterahoe.com and choose the giving option that works best for you have a great day